welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. We are going to talk about resistant weeds all throughout the show. If you've got a question for us, just give us a call here, 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. So we are broadcasting from the Morton studio today, and we've been getting so many questions in, I think we're going to go right to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. All right, first one comes from Adam in South Dakota. He said, I was reading your recent article in your Ag PhD Insider magazine about pre-emerge herbicides. We purchased a Kinsey mocktail last fall. Are we okay to put our pre-emerge herbicides on the stalks, the fields will go to soybeans this spring, and use the mocktail to incorporate that? Or would you recommend doing a pass with the mocktail, then putting the pre's on, then doing a field cultivator pass after that? Okay, so the there are two big things that we want to look at here. Number one, how rough is the field right now? So let's say, for example, you had moldboard plow. Now I realize that's not the case. But I'm, my point here is simply if you have great big ridges all throughout the field where it drops, let's say, eight inches, you, you're going to have some herbicide on top, some herbicide down below. Well, you have to figure that you're going to level that out, which means that you could end up with some of your herbicide clear down at four inches deep if you level that out. Is that going to be real great? No, it's not. We want to try to keep herbicide within the top two inches. So that's my first concern. My second concern, so as long as your field is relatively smooth, you can spray the herbicide out. In terms of working it with any type of coulter machine, I don't have a real big problem with that. We've done it. It works okay. It's just after the coulter machine, remember the coulter machine doesn't do a lot for stirring it around or anything like that. So if it was me, I'd have a harrow on the back or a drag or something like that to smooth it out. And if you've got that, I'm fine with it. It's really not that big a deal. So what we use on our farm is a field cultivator, and then we've got rolling baskets on the back. And, you know, by the time it's all said and done, our field is quite smooth. We have stirred it a little bit at least. Um, so I'll put it to you this way. If your goal was to cover everything perfectly and truly stir it well, the coulter machine you're using is not the greatest. But if your products are going to work fine anyway, so I think about Valor, Authority, Metribuzin, those kind of products move around some anyway in the soil, it's not that big a deal. I mean, you don't have to have coverage. We just like a little bit of coverage because now you've got the herbicide down in the ground. It's closer to where it needs to be, and it takes less moisture to activate it. So that's the main reason why we like those things down in the ground. And so, again, I would say you don't have the ideal tool for that, but it's certainly not going to hurt as long as you make sure it's smooth when you get all done. And there are a number of areas that are really dry like we are this year, and Getting things activated is going to be the name of the game. So doing everything you can to have that good mixing and take as little moisture as possible to get things working is important. Thanks for the question. Get this one from Zach. He said we were talking about atrazine and comparing that to caffeine in terms of safety. 
And Zach says, you can't compare taking a large dose of either substance. It's not a one-time thing. It's consumption over a long time. Caffeine's a stimulant drug. has been used for a long time, as, as long as humans have been around. We know it's relatively safe to consume in small quantities over a long period of time. Also, when you ingest caffeine, you're knowingly doing so. There's no dose regulation when you unknowingly consume something such as a herbicide. So I'm always going to be skeptical of ingesting strange chemicals. Well, okay. So there are some facts in there, and then there are some mistruths in there, too. So what we were talking about, and this goes back to something we were discussing, just basically saying that, hey, if you look at the LD50, the lethal dose, the one-time dose of atrazine, it's 15 times higher than the one-time dose of caffeine. So yes, you can compare one-time doses because there is a level of caffeine that will kill you. And that's a fact. So our simple point was that, hey, if there was a one-time spill of atrazine into water and a one-time spill of caffeine into the same water, and they happen to be at the same levels, that everybody would be complaining about the atrazine, yet it would be the caffeine that's more likely to kill you. Now, I'm not suggesting (laughs) that anybody consumes atrazine or that some farmer does something dumb that's going to get atrazine into the water. That wasn't the whole point of this. So we agree completely that we don't want to see any chemicals ending up in the water, but when something does, we do have to look at the science. I think we've all heard enough about the science over the last year. Well, if you believe in the science, then we simply have to look at the fact, the fact that atrazine is far less toxic in an individual consumption uh, small period, uh, like 24 hours, than caffeine. That's the fact. Again, please don't misunderstand. I'm not suggesting we cause any problems out there or anything else or that anybody wants to consume atrazine. That was the only point we were making with this. All right. Uh, Let's move on to the next one. We got this from Wayne in West Central Missouri. He said, I was talking to my fertilizer supplier this morning about why dropping ammonium thiosulfate on soybeans. Wondering what you guys think about that and what growth stage I should do it. I am using ammonium thiosulfate on my corn and wheat with my nitrogen because I have very low sulfur levels. Yeah, I don't. I don't have any problem with that. It, that's that's just fine. Uh, so putting out nitrogen and sulfur it, is fine. Now the question is, what's the right ratio? So if your plants are already loaded up with nitrogen and short on sulfur, ammonium thiosulfate makes fair amount of sense. The level of sulfur in there is fairly high compared to the nitrogen. But on the other hand, if you've got a lot of sulfur out there in the plants and you're short on nitrogen, you might want to spike it with some liquid 28%. That's often what we have done in the past is spike our product, whether it's access or ammonium thiosulfate with straight N. Yeah. The good thing about that question is that Wayne sees that he's short in sulfur and is looking for opportunities to get sulfur out there. And what's interesting, when you look through your full fertility program, a lot of the nutrients they're putting out, it might be zinc sulfate, it might be copper sulfate, it might be iron sulfate. So it might even be ammonium sulfate if you're putting a nitrogen source out. So there are a lot of different ways that you could be getting sulfur to try to help meet that need. And ensure ammonium thiosulfate is definitely one of those options. We're going to talk about resistant weeds on our show today and take your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Stay tuned. 
Pentair Hypro 3D nozzles are your premier choice for fungicide applications. Syngenta fungicide application field trials have shown Hypro 3D nozzles provide a yield advantage of up to 10% over other nozzles, maximizing the return on your fungicide investment. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases a seed to maximize seed-to-soil contact. Order yours at farmshopmfg.com. With stronger bean prices ahead, don't let white mold reduce your yield and profits again this year. Contans WG reduces sclerotia in your fields, eliminating white mold at the source. White mold was a major problem in 2019, costing soybean farmers valuable yield potential. As you rotate back into those white mold infected areas this spring, protect yourself by applying Contans. Clean your soils and return lost yield potential to every soybean you plant with Contans WG. As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine because it meant I was helping dad. And dad always said, farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters that farmers help our family, our neighbors, and our community. It's what I do at work. I help farmers get the equipment they need. My name is Kim, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher, even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. And we are tackling one of the tough issues in agriculture, resistant weeds. Certainly there is a growing problem around the world with resistant weeds to a number of different modes of action. As soon as you lose your favorite one for the crop that you're in, whether that's Roundup in Roundup Ready Crops or something else, it certainly makes you a bit nervous about what am I going to do because now you're looking for some different options. We've got Tom Wood with us right now with Belsham to talk about this a little bit. Tom, thanks for joining us. Good afternoon, gentlemen. How are you today? Pretty good. Pretty good. You know, when we talk about resistant weeds, I, I a lot of times think about weeds that are resistant to one chemistry. Maybe it's a Roundup-resistant pigweed, for example, just to, to take one. And maybe it's not cross-resistant to a whole bunch of other ones yet. But let's just say it's only resistant to Roundup. Well, if you're out there spraying with one mode of action and that happens to be Roundup, shame on you. Uh, there's a lot of research out there showing a couple of modes of action or more is a much better way to go. Uh, when you think about that, Tom, how do you how do you do that as you're as you're a farmer and you're making post emerge applications? How do you find that second mode of action? How do you make sure you get the right dosage? Those types of things. What are some of the the thoughts farmers should have going into the spray season? Well, certainly they're going to be using their uh, tank mixes and their integrated weed management programs. And uh, there's uh, lots of data out there, uh, whether it's from the universities or just in common publications everywhere about uh, dose rates, modes of action, what works good, and uh, what things can be put together. 
Um, so I think you can find these quite easily, and I think farmers know where to look, and they should also be on the lookout for the new ones that don't have resistance like we're seeing these days. You know, I think one of the things too, Tom, is that we find something that works and then it's great. I've got a chemistry. How many different crops can I use it in? I think we're missing the point. There are other chemistries out there that could be used that maybe aren't in our soybean program, for example, that that we could utilize in corn. Well, for sure. And uh, one of the ones that uh, Belsham is bringing is called Tough 5EC. It's pyridate active ingredient. Not registered for soybeans yet, but registered in multiple crops. And this year we're launching it in corn. So it's another mode of action that you bring to the to your tank mixture um, that uh, addresses those resistant problems and also addresses your seed bank also. Yeah, we get questions all the time. Well, what rate should I use on a tank mix partner? And my general response is, well, you better use the full rate of what it's going to take to kill that weed. Because if you're mixing it with Roundup on a Roundup resistant weed, for example, you could just as well be mixing it with water because you're you're putting it with something that isn't going to help you at all. That's true. So I would, uh, and we publish our rates. And for top 5EC, eight ounces will do it. But you're putting it in the tank with your HPPDs. You're putting it in the tank with atrazine. And oh, by the way, um, just to dwell on tough for a little bit, it not only brings that uh, additional mode of action, but it's also synergistic with HPPDs. So while um, tough is tearing down or adding the free radicals that tear down your cell walls of the plant, the meso or an HPPD is working the other end to... Um, uh, essentially doesn't detoxify those free radicals that are killing your plant. And in atrazine, tough is a foliar application, so is atrazine, but it gets to the to the leaves and the roots. Uh, tough hits the leaves and the foliar application, starting to kill, so you got speed to kill, and atrazine does it, the rest. It's quite a, a good team for all those three and gives you that added one, two, three punch that uh, a tank mix can bring to all the team. Yeah, I think it's really important to to look for those types of opportunities where you've got multiple modes of action that that each will work together. And the other thing is hitting these weeds at the right time. I, I talk to so many farmers all the time and say, well, Roundup used to kill weeds when they were a foot tall. Well, that was never on the label. And it's nice that in many cases we were using a pretty high rate of Roundup and, and knocking down some great big weeds. But but we gotta we got to think about this a little bit and, and try and hit those weeds at the right timing. Often that's two inches to four inches tall for any of these modes of action that we're talking about today. We're talking with Tom Wood here with Belsham, talking about their product, Tough 5EC, uh, another good option to mix into uh, pretty much about any herbicide program that you're trying to do on corn to add another mode of action against these tough, resistant weeds. Tom, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Look forward to talking to you again. All right. Look forward to it as well. Thank you again. You bet. We've got Trevor Israel with Valent on with us right now. Now, Trevor, we've been talking about multiple modes of action a lot, and uh, I know you've kind of been speaking that same message, trying to target some of these tough, resistant weeds. Hi, Darren. Yes, thanks for having me on. Um, yes, we are at Valent. Yeah, definitely, definitely speaking that same language. You know, uh, as far as combating resistant weeds. 
and and you're adding new modes of action to the mix too and there's a lot of choices now i remember back when when uh, valor first came out and it was a really nice product but but now you've got lots of different combinations in the family and also with other modes of action that you're working with uh that's right so uh first with the fierce brands we uh we've added peroxisol foam which is a group 15 and with the uh the ppo uh, the valor uh, tool me oxygen so that's one mode of action. Then also in Fierce MTZ with the Metribucin, the uh, um, Group 5 herbicide. So uh, mix of modes of action, uh, uh, important effective modes of action that are still effective on the uh, these weeds of concern, especially the, the pig weeds and the uh, ragweeds species, among others. You know, we've got these tough broad leaves that are that are showing resistance and they've got so many different growing points on them. I know we're we're attacking with that three pre strategy in soybeans trying to get as many modes of action out there early, but the post emerge residual option has has become pretty important too. What are some tips that you've got for growers as they're trying to layer these residuals out there to keep the tough resistant weeds out? So important with uh, with some of these uh, post residuals is knowing uh, which ones um, um, may have any uh, burn down activity, which is uh, not many of them, except for uh, yeah maybe the dicamba products uh, with some residual air and contact activity, maybe some of the two four D. But a lot of the group uh, group fifteens is just uh, uh, pre residual activity, so I won't have any post action. It's important to remember these tank mix partners with uh, overlapping residual just to be sure of any weeds that have escaped that uh, may, may not be able to see for uh, from the road or, uh, you know, by the time you get everything loaded up, it's been a few warm days, so things have really come out of the ground. So good tank mix partner. And also, um, you know, realizing what rate and uh, what level of uh, control to expect, so know to uh, plan that window for a uh, a timely application, you know, product of, of Fierce or Fierce MTZ. Some of those products expect uh, seven, eight weeks of control, residual control um, quite frequently. So uh, knowing, uh, giving a good window to time that and still being able to get in there, uh, hopefully before the window closes. So uh, really plan for that early season uh, weed control so the crop can develop its canopy uh, in a timely fashion. Kind of switching gears here just a little bit, Trevor, but we had a number of growers that have sent in questions that put fall residuals out. Just wondering what to expect to see out of those fall residual treatments. Uh, you've got some experience with this too. What what have you liked about those fall treatments and, and what should growers expect going into the spring? So uh, what I like about some of the, uh, the fall treatments is um, uh, knowing when the moisture comes. Um, in some areas, it's uh, if you can get the fall residual out there it'll be there and uh, you know once the snow comes it'll uh you know uh be a layer on top of it and uh, you know work it into the into the soil into the activation zone but also uh waiting for the spring to come yeah if it's get busier um the different starts to the spring you know um seems definitely a lot warmer this spring so um expect you know the soil uh biological activity to, to ramp up uh you know, may get some early season control, but also as the soil warms, that herbicide is going to break down. So, uh, and you know, depending on when you are planting your crop, let definitely planting for a pre-residual or pre-plant, or as well as a, a post-residual as well, or a, uh, sometime in the season. A product like Perpetuo will, uh, which has proxysulfone in there with the, the flumaclorac, so um, in-season residual as well would uh, 
to layer it back up. Yeah, whether you're doing that spring applied or the fall applied residual, still important to layer that up and keep resistant weeds out. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Beat resistant weeds with Tough IVC on your team. Add Tough IVC into your post-emergent tank mix and even the playing field. Tough IVC, a selective contact herbicide, synergizes HPBD inhibitors and enhances the effect of PS2 herbicides. Tough IVC increases control of some of the toughest to kill herbicide resistant weeds, such as Palmer Amaranth and Waterhemp. Ask your local retailer about Tough IVC or visit BelchamUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. You're looking for soybeans that give you the yield you want. But when it comes to fighting your toughest weeds, you also need flexibility. Introducing Extend Flex Soybeans. Elite Genetics with triple tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate. The yield you want, the choice you need. Learn more at extendflexsoy.com. Always read and follow IRM where applicable, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. We now bring you an important news bulletin. This just in from Live Action News. Innovation has come to the world of burndown. New Elevore herbicide controls your toughest weeds, even glyphosate and ALS-resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevore herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your burndown. It's not about how quickly you come out of the gate with nitrogen fertilizer, but how strong you finish the race. High Striker uses patent-pending chemistry to stabilize your nitrogen in a form that lasts longer in your crop's root zone. Because for high yields, your nitrogen must last longer, so you can finish the season stronger. Visit agrotechusa.com to learn why so many growers are going the distance with High Striker-treated nitrogen. When it comes to effective herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. They've been bringing growers trusted brands like Burnmaster, Scorch, and Spitfire for decades, made right here in the USA. What's your favorite New Farm brand? Email it to turnuptheburn at newfarm.com and you'll be entered to win a monthly $1,000 product giveaway. In these unprecedented times, you're facing unprecedented pressure. New Farm's here to help. Talking resistant weeds on today's Ag PhD radio program. Thanks for joining us here in the Morton studio. Taking your calls and agronomic questions throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. Or you can email us radio at agphd.com. Sit down to Iowa. We get Zach Trower with us right now with Syngenta. Zach, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right. So uh, a lot of folks said, well, those resistant weeds, they're down in the south and we don't really have to worry about them. I would beg to differ that 
the state of Iowa's got as many as just about anybody right now. You get some tough ones to fight. What are some of the strategies growers are using successfully in Iowa to fight resistant weeds? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. And, you know, with this gets brought up every year, right? We got a little bit elevated crop prices. Guys are willing to have that conversation a little bit more this year than they were last year. And really what I'd say are the three key principles, I call it the three P's of resistance management, is making sure we have the right product out there or products or combination of products. We have the right placement, so we have a pre and a post pass. And then finally, making sure that we have the right pounds on the ground or the right rate. we got to make sure we have enough AI out there to control those weeds before they become a problem you know, in our fields. Okay, you got three different points that you bring up there, and they're good ones. And when we talk about products and finding the right products out there, I think there are a lot of choices. That's a that's a good thing for growers that there isn't just one right way to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is that is really you can almost argue convoluted right now, right? And uh, you know when I when I look at say let's look at the corn acre, right? We got to make sure we have a product that has multiple effective modes of action on our target weed species and let's be honest the one that's on everybody's mind water hemp and palmer amaranth those two weed species are the ones that are developing resistance the quickest or we're selecting for the resistance the quickest but also are the toughest to control so when i look at say the corn acre i really look for a product like acuron and i'm going to use that as an example because it's got three effective modes of action on those weed species water hemp and palmer but it's got four active ingredients and all those active ingredients are effective on those two weed species. And really that's the best type of program that we can put together to mitigate resistance. Yeah. Giving a a heavy dose to make sure that we knock out the weeds so we don't have resistance. So for growers that say, all right, uh, I hear what you're saying, Zach, but I, I sprayed my mix that I used and I killed some weeds down to a few inches off the ground and then they started regrowing. What do you say for that when, when you run into those situations? Yeah, a lot of that can come about two ways. First off, our application, right? We have to make sure that when we're going out there and applying a product, it's got enough water. We're using the correct tips to ensure that we get coverage. And again, it's got enough potency, or make sure we got enough rate of that product out there, right? Because that's one thing that a lot of folks been cutting rates. And when we cut rates, you know, a half rate doesn't always equal half performance. Sometimes if we cut that rate too low, we get no performance, right? Um, also, we got to get out there timely. You know, an eight inch water hemp, when I look at that weed in the state of Iowa, that's becoming a tough weed to control. And really, it's got a lot of growing points. So when we kill that top half of that plant, it can grow right out of the bottom and it kind of turns into, I always call it the Christmas tree effect, right? Where it grows up. We've all seen mare's tail do it. A water hemp can do that as well. So we got to make sure that we're spraying four inch or less weeds. My thing that I tell Iowa growers every day of the week, spray black dirt. And I love that because I come from Wisconsin and Missouri. And uh, I can finally say spray black dirt now that I live in Iowa. (laughs) (laughs) I love that subtle dig to the home area. Okay. Uh, Now, when we we think about the rates too, Zach, you know, here's, here's one where there's a lot of confusion out there. And I think, honestly, 
some farmers came about it uh, by no fault of their own. We, we used to see Roundup Ready rates, which were cut rates of different products, and growers kind of get in their mind, well, wait a second, isn't that the full rate? Well, no, it was a cut rate when Roundup was working tremendously well that we were just getting a little extra residual because Roundup didn't have residual. This is a whole different deal now. We're trying to knock down weeds that are up. Yeah, and, you know, really – that Roundup, I always call it the best and the worst herbicide. The best herbicide, because it hands down was the best herbicide that we've ever found. The worst herbicide is because we got really bad habits that we have to get away from, right? You know, the old Roundup Ready adage, let everything grow up, kill it, let everything grow up, kill it. We have to get away from that mentality. Again, you said it, Roundup is a heck of a herbicide, but now that we have resistance, we have to shift our mentality to spraying residuals and killing really, really small weeds. Because quite frankly, Roundup was that once in a lifetime type herbicide that until we find another one, which if we find another one, we don't want to do that. But, you know, we really just have to change our mentality. And I I think we're getting there, but we just got to keep moving forward to spraying residuals, spray black dirt. And we all know some weeds are going to be out there, but let's make sure that they're four to two inches or less in size. Great stuff there, Zach. Really appreciate having you on. Zach Trower with Syngenta. Uh, Thanks. Good luck heading into the spring. Yep, 66 degrees. I'm looking forward to it right now. Outstanding. (laughs) Outstanding. That's pretty good for Iowa this time of year. Uh, Also down in Iowa, we got Brent Newberger with FMC. Uh, Brent's enjoying the warm weather too, I bet. How are you doing, Brent? Yeah, it's getting rid of a lot of the snow. There's just uh, a few big piles left. Yeah, that's that's a good deal, and and I get it. It's early. We might get a little bit more, but it sure melts away fast when we get a sun that has this kind of power. Now, let's talk just a little bit about these resistant weeds because you're seeing the same things that Zach's seeing out there, and, and it's it's a growing problem. Most growers are concerned and willing to invest the money on, on stopping these weeds. Where do you see uh, problems in general? If a farmer's not getting great weed control, where's where's he missing it? Well, you know, I, I think, you know, it's always a start clean to stay clean adage. And, you know, I think a lot of people have gotten lax and think, you know, we've had a great arsenal that's like, oh, we can take care of that later. And we can uh, kill the weeds after they come up. And, and a lot of times, you know, the old Roundup days, we were killing some very large weeds. You know, A, that hurt us for resistance. And it also really hurt us from a crop yield because the longer we leave those weeds out there to feed, the less uh, uh, nutrients are going to our crop. And so it was really a two-pronged approach. So uh, I guess at FMC, we really are, are emphasizing the importance of the residuals, the overlapping residuals, getting as much activity out of the soil. So then if we do a better job up front in the soil, our post traits have less pressure less selection pressure for resistance and we we probably have a, a bigger window to spray because we all know it, it doesn't stay calm uh, yesterday was a very windy day in iowa uh we get a lot of those days in, in the spring that you know in, in the summer that you can't spray some of these post traits yeah you're exactly right and and you know when we think about when growers are trying to spray some of the post products i just look at at products that have been misused over the years. I think about Cobra, one of Valence products. I think about Cadet from FMC. Growers are out trying to kill foot-tall weeds with these products. And I'm like, wait a second. These weeds are designed to kill 
two inch tall weeds. These products are going to kill two inch tall weeds. And yet we're trying to kill foot tall things. We need to have a better residual program. So you never have to face those foot tall weeds. Oh, exactly. And so the better the residual, you know, you know, it's like I've always told, you know, growers in meetings, I've never found a weed that didn't come up to develop resistance. And if you think of that, you know, it's like if we can prevent these weeds from coming up with a great residual program, we're not spraying that post roundup or, you know, a glufosinate, a, a Liberty, which, you know, just document it now that we have resistance in Palmer Amaranth down south with, with glufosinate. So, you know, a lot of these post traits is really where the resistance has the most concern. And obviously, a lot of these post traits, you know, we're seeing multiple resistance. So, you know, you know, we got glyphosate and, you know, who who knows what else post-emergent. So, you know, again, the better job we can do up front, and that's why a lot of our authority products, we have different mixes to fit the wheat spectrum and give multiple modes of action. And really, it all comes back to, to multiple effective modes of action. I, I see products Absolutely. that have multiple modes of action, but they might not all be effective against the weed you're really trying to target and or their, their cut rates in that premix. So you uh, know, multiple yes. effective full rates. Totally agree. Brent Newberger with FMC. Thanks, Brent. Great stuff. Good luck. You're heading into the spring. Hey, same to you. Thank you. Talking resistant weeds on today's Ag PhD radio show. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Protect your empire. Rule your fields with dual modes of action. Low-use rate Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC combines Group 14 and Group 15 modes of action for pre-plant and pre-emergence control of key broadleaf weeds and grasses. A preventative application keeps your fields clean when it matters most to crop productivity. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Step it up this season. Do more than just keep your soybean fields clean with Authority Supreme or Authority Edge herbicide from FMC. Walk those clean fields with pride and enter for your chance to win a $500 Cabela's gift card. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at stepitupwithfmc.com. Always read and follow label directions for use. Void were prohibited. Must be a legal U.S. resident and age of majority in your state to enter. See official rules for terms and conditions. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? Brian Ryberg from Buffalo Lake, Minnesota has done just that. Here's his story. We began using a soil warrior in our farm fall of 2014. 
Pushing many benefits from better water infiltration, a lot less hours on equipment, fuel, able to reduce our fertilizer side, so it's really simplified our operation. See what makes Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Vellum is Rotam North America's mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio today. We're talking resistant weeds. I just wanted to take a couple more minutes. I mean, we've talked about it quite a bit here, but I mean, the biggest thing that I will say is this, that you can, you should never forget. A dead weed cannot become a resistant weed. So this is why we want great weed control all the time. This is why we want to see multiple modes of action all the time, and not just multiple modes of action, multiple effective modes of action. That's the real key. We've got to make sure that, and and here, let me step back for one second. When I am talking one-on-one with farmers and they say, hey, I, I got to have a herbicide recommendation, I will almost always, as long as I don't forget, I'll almost always say, all right, what's your worst weed? What's number one on your list that we have to kill? Now, it's, well, our radio show here goes all over the United States and Canada and really around the world. In North America, the number one weed is pigweed. And whether you want to call it water hemp or palmer pigweed, the fact is it's smooth pigweed. It's a pigweed species in most cases. And that's typically number one. Kosha for a big portion of the U.S. and Canada is number one. Or mare's tail. And so if I take those three weeds out, um, you know, that's those are number one for most people. But I, I like adding this, though, Brian, as a ahead. clarifying question, too, of what weeds do you see when you're out there with the combine? And when a farmer says, you know, now that you mention it, I'm seeing a bunch of foxtail out there at harvest time. True. Okay, well, let's let's expose whatever the flaws are in your current program because sometimes we get all in on, all right, I got pigweed out there, so I'm just going to throw my whole budget at pigweed, and I forget about, you know, I do have some foxtail because I talk to guys all the time, well, you know, I don't really see much grass out there, so I'm, I'm just going to go with this. But then with the combine, if you're out there talking to them then, it seems like a month later people don't remember but if you're talking to farmers right when they're combining, they'll say, well, you know what? I run through a patch of this or that here and there. Yes. It's just that when you bring up the foxtail thing right away, I don't think about resistant weed. What I think about is we didn't have enough residual there. And that's a totally different discussion that we'll handle another day. But for today, it's I spray a herbicide and it doesn't kill the weed I was trying to kill. So that's a resistant, or it could be a resistant weed, or it could be some other issue. It could be inferior rate, poor coverage, bad weather, things like that. So we got to make sure those things are all lined up. I will also say this. Many people will talk to us about resistant weeds and I go, 
I don't really think that's a resistant weed. Let's talk through those issues and let's get those things solved. Well, like lamb squirters, Brent. Lamb squirters is one that I hear a lot. Oh, you know, I'm getting the pigweed now, but I'm not doing a very good job on lamb squirters. They must be resistant to everything I'm using too. No, that's not necessarily true. It's just that a lamb squirters plant can put on... 50 growing points and a relatively small plant you've got to kill it when it's really small and you have to use the right dose and you have to get good coverage and you have to spray when the weather's right so there are a number of things there that we can make this better but anyway though without getting into any more specifics i'll just say for almost every resistant weed out there we do have solutions and so if you ever have a weed problem where you're looking for advice please just send us an email or give us a call here. We'd love to talk to you anytime. And as far as your emails, it can be any time of day you send it to us. And we will take a look at that over the next few days and hopefully get that addressed on the radio and get you an answer back soon. But the thing is, we have herbicides out there to kill resistant weeds. Also, there are cultural practices that can be done. It's not all herbicide. We talk about this quite often in pastures. Heck, even in just cropland, what do we say all the time? The number one weed killer, the best weed killer ever, is not a herbicide. It's crop canopy. So we want to do the right things for drainage and for fertility and seeding population. So there are lots of different things that can be done to stop weeds. We're here to help you anytime. You just ask us if you got a specific question. All right, let's jump back into the Ag PhD mailbag again. All right. Uh, this question comes from Rick in Illinois. He said, I'm wanting to try potassium silicate on corn and soybeans. Your fertilizer removal app doesn't list silica. I do not have a soil test for silica. I would like to try it, though. Can you recommend a rate to start out with in furrow or broadcast? And how much should this product cost per acre? I don't know the answer to any of those questions. I do know a couple of things. Silica is important. And I do know that silica is ridiculously dangerous if it's a dry. If it's a liquid, I'm not quite so worried. But with the dry, I am dead serious about this. You got to treat it like it is the worst possible thing you could ever get into your body. Okay. So it can be really super crazy harmful for your lungs. So I, I would tell you this. If you are doing it yourself and you are going to be super careful and it's a dry, that's fine. But I would, I I mean, I'm talking respirator, everything. You make absolutely sure there's no issue. And if there's anybody else involved, kid, uh, somebody working for you on your farm, I would just tell you, just stay away from it. Don't don't even try any, unless, of course, again, it's liquid. Even that, you got to be careful, but not nearly to the degree with the dry. We're worried about the dust and the inhalation. Yeah, and it's I, I just looked up silica just for for fun because I was thinking, isn't this like one of the most abundant elements? It's twenty eight percent of the planet they yeah, say is made yeah. up of silica. Yes, yep. But the concentrated stuff, you just have to be really careful when it's dry. Now, the other thing that I would say with the the silica is there are microbial solubilizers. So there are some we use on our farm. To take the silica, like Darren said, if it's already this enormous percentage of your soil, well, why don't we just try to make that stuff more soluble and more plant available? There are microbes that can do that. So I would encourage you to maybe consider trying that as well as your potassium silicate if you really want to do that. All right. Thanks for the question, Rick. Uh, Get this one from Paul. Brian, do you have your Neil Kinsey book handy? The seminar book? Okay. Here we go. 
So Paul said, I, I caught your Neil Kinsey seminar and my question for you is about pages 158 and 159 in the book, which are basically one acre soil grids for anybody listening to the show today. He said, on my manganese and iron levels, some of the manganese levels are higher, some are lower. How would you address this type of situation? Okay. I was wondering just to blanket spread more iron and how much you'd recommend. Your thoughts would be appreciated to get a couple of the questions. Okay. Too. So where this question is coming from is Neil Kinsey talks a lot about, hey, your iron levels in the soil always need to be higher than your manganese levels according to my test. So I don't know with this particular lab, it is not a Kinsey lab. It's not a lab that I'm familiar with. So what I'm saying here is you may or may not have a problem. If it was me and you said, boy, I'm, I'm really worried about this. And Neil said I should be concerned about this. What I would do is I'd take my worst spot. So in other words, where the manganese is quite a bit higher than the iron, I'd go right back to that exact same spot. I would pull a sample and I'd send it into Neil's lab for analysis. And then you can see from his lab, what does he say in that spot? If the if your worst spot turns out to be okay, well, then maybe you don't even have a problem. Okay. Uh, the other questions Paul had, he said, I have an 80-acre field here, and I've sent some samples to Neil in the past. Just wondering, I've done a good area of the field and an average area of the field, but don't feel that I get a good representation of the whole field. So do you guys do well, like varus cart and zone sampling or do you do no. grid sampling? What would yes. you recommend? Okay. So I don't have a big problem with zones. A lot of people want to talk about zones and they say, well, this is more accurate anyway. And I agree with that. It really is. But I, I like small zones. So especially just the first time you're doing something. So if you got 20 acre zones, in my opinion, it's never going to be accurate enough. But I'm not saying everybody has to do one acre grids like we're doing, but I would say very small grids or very small zones at least once. And then you can see, oh, these four areas are the same or same-ish. Well, then put them together after that. And then, then you're fine. Just start small once. Just do it once. And then you can start combining. Uh, anyway, so in terms of what we do on our farm yes we are doing one acre grids i really like that because i feel like we can get more accuracy that way and we're putting the right things in the right spot because let's face it fertilizer is expensive lime's expensive gypsum is expensive i mean it's all expensive in my book and i just don't want to over apply and i don't want to spend money wastefully so that's the reason why we want small at least one time well stay tuned we'll get to more of your questions in the ag phd mailbag right after this Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, whenever you want. Farm your way with Case IH AFS Connect. Now you can farm, share data, and manage your fleet however, whenever, and wherever you want. Learn more at caseih.com slash farmyourway. You're all set with the 4x4 turbo diesel truck. How about some options? Spray and bed liner? Absolutely. Tailgate step and nerf bars? Gotta have them. Tie down hooks and stainless steel toolbox? You know it. Tinted windows? Of course. 
Options are good. That's as true in the field as it is with your pickup. In addition to taking care of tough weeds, new Open Sky herbicide gives you more rotational choices than ever before and an easy-to-handle formulation. <laughs> Goose deck toe package? Yep. Discover more Open Sky details at openskyherbicide.com. AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen. From conception to completion, there's no better time to buy. Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com. Revitech Fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech Fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech Fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time, taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Or you can email us, like Jonathan did, radio at agphd.com. Now, I love this question because Jonathan uh, is pointing out there's a lot of different formulations of glyphosate out there, and he, he names a bunch of them here. But everybody's focused on, well, how much active ingredient is there and what rate do I need to use? And they're missing out on the other piece of the equation. Most of these have some sort of surfactant in them. And what is the difference in surfactant load? So his question, are there any differences in PowerMax 2 and PowerMax 3 other than the rate is a little bit lower on PowerMax 3? Also, how does Abundant Edge compare uh, and okay. yeah, on and on and on, just okay. a number of so, different ones. So surfactant load is higher in this PowerMax 2 than in PowerMax, and abundant edge well, is- PowerMax 3 versus PowerMax I'm, 2. I'm getting to, saying. yep, I know I'm getting to PowerMax 3. Uh, so anyway, there's PowerMax. Then surfactant load's a little higher in PowerMax 2. Abundant edge is more like the original PowerMax. Now, PowerMax 3 has a completely new surfactant and is a higher load of acid. And at this time, there's no other formulation out there with the same active per gallon as PowerMax 3. So that one is a little bit different. PowerMax 1 and 2 are basically about the same. 
I'll tell you this too. So I get the opportunity to talk to a lot of the head people in these big companies, and I tell them all the time, please don't come with a Power Max 1, then a Power Max 2, then a Power Max 3, because it gets really confusing for people. And as an agronomist and as somebody who's worked with a lot of farmers, they often send their spouse, their kid, or their dad or grandpa <laughs> in to pick up product, and they go, yeah, I don't know, I'm here to pick up Power Max. Well, are you here to pick up Power Max 1, 2, or 3? Yeah, I'm here to pick up Power Max. And then it's a whole deal, and sometimes they get the wrong product and everything else. So I don't like it when they do stuff like this, but that's kind of where we're at. So yeah, there are a lot of different formulations of glyphosate. The most important thing for you as a farmer is, well, what are you actually going to get on your farm? So just make sure you're asking the questions like, okay, what's the use rate? How many pounds of active do we have here? You know, and if I'm used to using X product, compare that for me, Mr. Retailer, so I, I know exactly what I'm getting here. Because quite often we find people say, oh, I got this cheap deal on glyphosate. And we go, well, what did you get? And what'd you pay? And we, I go, well, you didn't get a deal. You actually paid too much. They're like, oh, shoot, I, I didn't realize that. So just keep asking questions, and that's kind of where you got to go. So anyway, moving forward, if you have any specific questions for us, just let us know. All right. Thank you for that. We appreciate that. Uh, this one comes from Mike, and he said, I want to ask you about Stover and what's usable. So he said, my first question with the Stover left in the field, how much is usable for next, how many of the nutrients in there are usable for the next year's crop? My example is my last year's crop was sunflowers, mm -hmm. which yielded great. My 2021 crop will be wheat. I'm in West Central North Dakota with little to no snow, very low moisture levels. And yes, my levels are low to are low good year to build. Uh, that one. I'm not sure about that. Uh, also okay. wondering what software we're using to track soil analysis levels year over year. And he sent a spreadsheet here from some of his ground. Okay. So first of all, if it's stover and nutrients that are left in the stover, that's available for a future crop. Now that doesn't mean that the next year the crop roots are going to find those nutrients or that they have remained available and not tied up, at least in the short term. So it's really hard to say. I, I mean, a good portion of those nutrients are probably available for the next crop and the crop could probably get a hold of them. But, you know, you have to have good root mass and you have to have moisture to get the, those nutrients in. In terms of software, we're really not using any fancy software to track stuff from year to year. Quite frankly, I don't care that much about my year to year thing. And I know that there's a lot of talk about that and everybody wants to focus on the year to year thing. And I'll occasionally look back at the prior year. But to me, it doesn't really matter that much. I look at, okay, what are my soil tests right now? And what crop am I trying to raise? And I go from there. That's that's all to me that really matters. Because whether I started at 10 parts per million or I started at 100 parts per million a year ago, who cares? All I care about is what's out there now for this year's crop. So that's why I'm not too worried about the whole tracking of things. It's not a big deal to me. Probably the biggest thing I would say on tracking is over a long period of time, I'm interested in what we're doing to soil organic matter and to soil pH levels. If we've got those things heading in the wrong direction for us, then obviously we've got a, a, a change we should be making in terms of our cropping practices so that doesn't happen because um, things aren't going right. So anyway, 
that's that's a little bit about what we do and about what we recommend as agronomists. All right. Thanks for the question. Uh, Brian, this one's regarding the bottom two slides, which are exactly the same, by the way. Uh, this question is from Steve about the <laughs> Neil, Neil Kinsey presentation. He, yep. he said, I'm wondering, uh, he had a, Neil had a phosphorus slide that he, where he mentioned that 25% of the plant's chemical energy is expended as exudates. Does this expensive energy affect yield potential? Okay. So root exudates. What we talk about here on the show, we don't ever use the word root exudates. What we will often say is the roots will excrete or put out chelating agents or organic acids, same thing. And when they, they do that, then they can make nutri some nutrients more available. We also talk about how plant roots can kick out sugars that soil microbes will feed on. And the, the plant then can get some benefit because those soil microbes can turn certain nutrients that might be in the soil and unavailable into available forms or in the air, like rhizobia bacteria can take nitrogen out of the air, turn it into a form the plant can use. Or in some cases, you'll get extensions. Uh, 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 so there might be fungal extensions going out into the soil that actually can start bringing nutrients into the plant root, just like mycorrhizal fungi will do. So, yes, there are a lot of things that the plant will kick out, and we say, oh, boy, it expended a whole bunch of energy. Yes, it did, but it's only expending that energy because it's getting more energy coming back in. So I wouldn't get too worried about the fact that, yes, a bunch of energy got expended that way. That's just the way it works. All right, thanks for the question. I got this from Jeremy in Minnesota. He said, I've got a grower that I'm working with who wants the best herbicide program for conventional soybeans to deal with resistant weeds and so forth, like water hemp, ragweed. He also has some sunflowers out in the field. He's using a yellow, an authority product, and metribuzin as a pre. Wondering what Sounds you great. would use as a post to help this out. Okay, so here's the first thing. And this goes way back to even when I was a young agronomist, people would get all worried about, well, what am I going to use post-emerge? And I'd just say, look, you're putting three pre's out. Let's just wait and see what comes because we don't know from year to year, even on our own farm. So like those sunflowers, if he's got sunflowers right. out there, the three pre's aren't going to take them out completely. No, but we also don't know, will this be a great year for sunflower germination? Maybe it will, maybe it won't. And maybe for some reason you don't have sunflowers this year. I don't know. So I would just say, hey, at the time you got to scout and then you figure it out. So if, let's say, I was out there trying to control, what was it, sunflowers and ragweed? Sunflowers, ragweed, and water hemp. Yeah, well, when you add water hemp in, that adds another component. But I'll just say Flexstar first rate would probably be the combination I would think of right away, not super expensive, and that should work out very well on those three weeds. The Flexstar is better than the water hemp. That would be, that would be my first hemp. thought, too. And the other thing would be adding some sort of post-emerge residual. If I had conventional soybeans, I would definitely consider adding a residual herbicide with that post-emerge sure. application. Now, For sure. here's the like challenge. A group 15. You throw a Flexstar in there and you throw a group 15, that's going to heat things up a little bit. It is. So you're definitely going to notice it, <laughs> that you sprayed it on the yep. soybeans. But yep. but then you'll not only kill the weeds that are up, you'll also have some residual too. What about volunteer corn, Brian, in that program? Do you recommend putting it in a different application or putting no. it out at the same time as all those same, other things? Well, potentially the same time if you have volunteer corn there. So, you know, here we're dealing with a lot of hypotheticals. We're assuming that all these weeds happen to come and come at the same time. So if they all came at the same time, 
Would I spray volunteer corn at the same time? You bet I would. I mean, I'm I'm very much in favor of spraying volunteer corn twice if I have to, rather than letting the volunteer corn go for a long time, because now, number one, you lost yield, and number two, you have a host for corn rootworms for another year. So get that volunteer corn under control early. It costs like 2 or $3. Very inexpensive. Thanks for the question. Really appreciate that, Jeremy. I uh, want to encourage you as well, if you're interested in more information on drainage and improving drainage in your fields, check out the Ag PhD Drainage Tile Clinic coming up March 16th. You can find more details at agphd.com. Thanks for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio. Radio.